Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the Bleacher Connection, your source for sports and all things in between. I'm Ken. Trevor's here as always. You can find us on social media. Trevor's at the BleacherCon 1. I'm at the BleacherCon 2. And today we have a special guest with us to talk about life in sports radio and hockey. Thanks, Ken. Joining us today is a member of the Sportsnet Media family, host of the Afternoon Drive, The People's Show on Sportsnet 650 Radio in Vancouver, and more impressively, recent conqueror of the One Chip Challenge, Dan Riccio. <laughs> Welcome to the Bleacher Connection, Dan. I don't know if I conquered it or it conquered me. Uh, that's uh, it's still up for debate. Yeah, I think we, we definitely do want to hear about that. So I think we'll, uh, we'll be asking about that later on. Uh, before we get into everything, has, you know, for yourself and your family, everyone staying healthy and safe during the, the pandemic? Yeah, as best we can, you know, uh, this uh, latest wave is like, uh, hey, summer's coming, maybe maybe we'll get out of this thing, but uh, here we are again. Uh, numbers are higher than ever in Vancouver currently, but, um, you know, it, it does feel like, you know, my mom got the, the vaccine yesterday in Toronto, so I'm really excited about that and gets a little bit of anxiety off your shoulders and uh, hopefully things will start to speed up on that front from the country's perspective, but uh, in the meantime, we, we stay safe and healthy as best we can. Perfect. Good to hear. So we're going to dive right into things today, Dan. First question right off the top, what got you into sports radio and where did the journey begin and how did it lead to being at Sportsnet? Well, I guess uh, it's a long journey uh, to get to where I am today. Um, But yeah, I think like a a lot of uh, of young kids, I I just grew up loving sports. Um, My dad was a photographer and in the summers we'd drive around and run a bunch of errands and uh, have Sportsnet 590 on all the time uh, driving through Toronto. So it, uh, it just became part of my life that way, sports radio, and I grew up with it. I always had a bit of a flair, I guess, for the entertainment aspect. I, I went to acting school before I went into radio. And then eventually, as I got into to radio school, I had to intern somewhere. And an internship came up at 680 News and I took it, but as I got there, I realized and knew that Sportsnet 590 was just around the corner uh, in the same building. And let's just say I made sure my internship was mostly focused on hanging out with a lot of the 590 crew. Sure enough, I got lucky. A spot opened up just as my internship was wrapping. And I started doing overnights, uh, doing board hopping and that kind of thing. And um, it was a long road, but eventually I, uh, 
kept cracking away and, and got to where I am today. And it's, uh, it's been a long journey. No, right on. I know, I know for us, both Trevor and I are huge sports fans. So for us, this, the podcast is kind of our way of kind of doing what you guys do at uh, yeah. your level, just in a very minor, <laughs> minor spot right now, yeah, much scaled down level. Yeah. On your show, you guys are doing a lot of Canucks coverage right now, obviously with the people's yeah. show outside of hockey, what are your kind of top sports to cover and talk about and what, which ones are you like really personally passionate about? Well, it's, it's funny. Um, my big break came through a couple of things. And I, I guess one thing that I realized working early on in sports radio is like, there's, there's a lot of guys that want to do hockey stuff in, in Canada. And so it was kind of uh, trying to be uh, somebody that stood out in some other way. And turns out uh, as I was going through college, I, as I was going through college, I worked at a sports memorabilia shop. And so while I was working overnights, my, um, the host at the time, Jeff Samet was just like, uh, let's, let's do like an hour where you just like appraise people's stuff. They'll call in and, and you like give them a, a price of what it works and what, what, it, what it counts as. And I was like, all right, I was a bit tentative at first, but I'm like, I'm not passing up an on-air opportunity. Right. And it, it just, it flew off. Like it went nuts. We were on the air till two in the morning and just the phone boards were lit up the whole time. Luckily enough, one of the bosses heard, and then I was on the radar. So from there, I, I really sports memorabilia got me into uh, at least noticed. And then how I really started to build up um, was my passion for soccer. And I grew up in an Italian household. So soccer was always a big part of Sunday mornings and, and stuff like that. And nobody was doing Toronto FC coverage in Toronto. And I was just like, I'll, I'll be that guy, you know, <laughs> and, and luckily, you know, they said, all right, you can do that. And started a podcast, started reporting, did world cup stuff, did stuff around the English premier league. And it really, uh, it, it just, it gave me a chance to get reps, but like meaningful reps where I was trying to build something as well. And it just put me on the radar to do more things for the company. And sure enough, you know, there came a day where it's like, hey, do you want to do sports updates? We're kind of in a pinch. And hey, we, we need somebody to host Sunday afternoon. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's if you get noticed and you you get that trust, people will start to, to give you opportunities. So thankfully, my love of soccer, which, you know, has, has tailed off into uh, I, I've done play by play. I called MLS Cup final in 2017 for Sportsnet and. I've even done uh, Canadian Premier League, been out to Calgary and Edmonton and, and all over in Victoria as well, doing, doing stuff for one soccer and trying to build the game here in Canada, something I'm passionate about. So it's, it's really been uh, a, a roller coaster, but I've been lucky enough that one of my true passions, even if it isn't Canada's main sport, has been a vehicle for me to grow my career as well. So we're going to go back to, we're going to get into our Canucks coverage now. That's kind of one of the main reasons we have you on the show. Going back to the 2020 playoffs, what was your take on the Canucks run? Do you think they overachieved or was that run a natural progression of a young but talented team? I think like everything about last year's playoffs and bubble and everything like that is, um, it's hard to quantify and put your finger on it, right? I think part of it was, did, did we, did I believe too much in what I saw last summer? Probably uh, given what's happened this season with this team, 
but I, I just think it really sent a message to the league like, hey, this, this Quinn Hughes kid and this Elias Pedersen kid, they're pretty good. And it puts the Canucks into conversations that, you know, they hadn't been. And at least makes you feel like, okay, the, the hardest parts of the rebuild are over. And that's finding franchise cornerstone players. Now, could Jim Benning do a better job of supplementing those two kids? Uh, probably. But, uh, you know, I think it's always hardest to find star players. Um, you look at the Habs right now, they're kind of limited because do they have a game breaker on their roster? No, they don't. Flames this year. Sorry, Trevor. But uh, <laughs> have they really done what they've been expected to do? And no, because Johnny Gaudreau and, and John Monahan can't lift their teams the way that McDavid and Dreisaitl do or Matthews and Marner do for Toronto and even in in Winnipeg with Ehlers and Shifley and we and Wheeler and all those guys so it's really it, it, it's the hardest thing to find the top end of your roster so that's what it confirmed for me last summer uh, did they go farther than I expected absolutely did they push Vegas farther than I expected a hundred percent but um you know, there's still a lot of positives to take from that run. It's like, yeah, I, I know we kind of get into this mode of like, hey, you got to either got to win or, or, or you got to tank. You know, there's no in between, but you, you have to be able to do multiple things at once, you know, and, and winning is never a bad thing. That's if it happens and you just happen to win more than you expected, that's not a bad thing. You know, people have to stop worrying so much about uh, we got to finish last place so we have the best chance at the most lottery balls and all that. Actually, you bring up a good point. As a Flames fan, there's a lot of people here going, tank nation, tank nation. No way. Winning, breeding a winning culture is more important than picking five spots higher in the draft, in my opinion. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, 100%. And it's like you, you just signed Markstrom and, and Tanev and all these things, and it's just like you, you've got to give it a shot. You know, and it's, what are you trading Johnny Gaudreau for all futures? You know, you can get some pretty good pieces there. And the Flames do have uh, a pretty good roster, um, but you know, they're still struggling to find those guys at the top end. Where they get them, it's easiest to get them at the top of the draft, but, uh, you know, you got to be creative. There's a lot of teams out there, like look at Tampa. They just keep finding guys in the third round. Um, it, there's, there's other ways to procure talent around the league than just at the top of the draft. Yeah, I don't, the, the flames are definitely making me look a little bad because I had them finishing pretty high in the, uh, North division right now. After Not some me. Of the I actually, uh, <laughs> it's the one thing I got right this year was the flames weren't going to be very good. Well, I had the, I, I had the, the leaves at five. So I will say that too. I did. I didn't like a lot of their moves and I'm very wrong on that right now. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I would say that wasn't a great pick, um, Ken, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, the Leafs are a strange the Leafs are a strange team because like they have so much high-end talent. I, I don't think that getting to the playoffs was ever going to be a concern for them, but still I, I could see them losing to any one of the Canadian teams in that first round. Yep. Yeah, I think the the competitiveness of the North Division didn't play out as how I kind of saw it. Yeah. This year so far. Now you kind of brought up Benning and last season, the off season came across a bit controversial to some fans with departures of players like Mark Sherman, Tanev to Foley and even Troy Stetcher. What's your take on how the off season played out and is the criticism towards Benning fully warranted? 
when you are in a job for seven years and you do very mediocre at that position, um, I think it's warranted when you get some criticism for it. And, you know, I, of course, Benning has done some good things, like we mentioned and in the draft. Besser, um, Pedersen, Hughes, some of that is luck, but you even look further down. Hoaglander in the second round looks like a sweet pickup. Um, Adam Gaudet, I know they just traded him, but that was a fifth-round guy. Anytime a fifth-round guy even makes it to the NHL, that's a win in the draft. So the problem is, and this goes back to, you have to be able to procure talent in more ways than just the draft. (laughs) And Jim Benning has been subpar, putting it lightly, in the other ways of acquiring talent. In free agency, it's been mostly a gong show. In trade, He's made a couple of decent moves more recently, you know, Erica Branson for Tanner Pearson. That was a win. Uh, The JT Miller trade, an absolute win, but there hasn't been enough of those. You you think early on in the good Branson for Jared McCann and and draft picks and all these things, uh, just awful trades. Louis Erickson still on the books. Um, There's been such bad salary cap management as well with this team. And, Um, I know he's trying to push this narrative that there's not salary cap issues right now with, with the club, but you know, he must, I don't know what they're going to do in the summer to alleviate that. Or if it's just, Hey, we have the ability to sign Pedersen and Hughes and otherwise we'll be fine. Um, you're not getting better if that's all you're doing this summer. So I I think there's a lot there that Jim Benning could be better at and has quite obviously struggled with. And that's what's holding this Canucks team back. You know, they're just coming out of their rebuild. There's no reason they should be so up against the cap and really struggling for every cap dollar. You know, at this point, they should have still had flexibility with Patterson and Hughes on their entry-level contracts. This leads right into my next question perfectly. When you ask Jim Benning about the possible cap issues in the upcoming offseason, he brought up that people didn't have all the details and he doesn't see an issue. Do you believe he has an ace up his sleeve or is he deflecting the true real cap issues the Canucks have? Man, people were like, are still like tweeting me about that. And they're like, man, Jim got really upset with you. I was like, Ooh, I, I, you know what? Jim was, was pretty animated uh, that day on the people's show, but um, look, I, you know, I, I'm sure he's frustrated with, you know, the line of questioning that he's been getting, Um, but what is that move? And I'm trying to look at the roster and see where the cap issues open up. And it's only really if they buy out some players, maybe, you know, the mysterious LTIR comes up and uh, somebody goes Marion Hosa or Pavel Datsuk or, I think Henrik Zetterberg is still on somebody's books. Arizona, probably Arizona. Um, So it's just that that, those are the only ways that they're going to alleviate some cap space. And I think Jay Beagle might be somebody that ends up on LTIR next year. They could buy out Louis Erickson. That'll open up 2 million bucks. They could buy out Jake for Tannen, who's still under the age of 25. So uh, the buyout is pretty favorable for the team if they were to go down that road. 
it's just, again, things you shouldn't have to do at this point to have salary cap flexibility. And, you know, it's also, you didn't do that last year. And this is partially an ownership thing that could have allowed you to keep Tyler to around and they didn't do it then, but now it's like, okay, now we're so I don't know because this is also something that happens above Jim Benning where he has a plan and then ownership's like, nah, you know, I, I don't know if I like that plan. It costs me too much money. So there's, there's a lot of different layers here that Jim might be planning something. Is he going to be able to execute it in the summer? Is he even the guy that's going to be able to, to do those things, which I think is trending towards that way, but it wasn't that long ago that we all thought, you know, maybe Jim Benning's just kind of playing out the string for this season. There's there's some ways he can open up cap space. Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel buyouts are probably the most likely way, but you know nothing that you really love as a fan to see what's happening right now. Yeah, you, those are a couple of contracts. Sorry, go ahead, Ken. Oh, sorry, those are a couple of contracts I know I'd like to see completely off the books rather than <laughs> bought out. But yeah, it's. Uh, I kind of wish they just like made. I mean, I know COVID kind of did a lot of things, but. Um, for a long time, I was wondering, why don't they just send Louis to Utica and hope he retires or something? That would be great. Yes. <laughs> you know, go ride a bus <laughs> in the A. You want to still make your six million bucks or, or what you want to do with it? Fine. But like, we're, we're not pampering you anymore with the, the charter flights and, and fancy hotels. Like you're, you're going to have to muck it in the, in the, in the A. And yeah. uh, they never did it. They, they've just been, they've been too good to their vets at times when everybody else in the league realizes when it comes to the salary cap you've just got to be ruthless yeah if he had a 90 goal season it wouldn't be enough to make up for his production over the last four years you brought up ltir and i actually want to ask you about the tampa bay lightning okay do you think they're is this cap circumvention what they're doing because like i know it's within the bounds but it just seems odd to me convenient it's it is definitely overly convenient. And I know on uh, headlines last night, Hockey Night in Canada, they mentioned that the league might be a little bit more strict with these things. And they should be, man. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning, it was obvious the moment that uh, they were like, yeah, Nikita Kucherov's not going to be able to play at all this season. Uh, and But he'll just magically be ready for the playoffs uh, when the salary cap goes away. And... Now they go out and they do the deadline stuff and all this stuff is happening. It's just, it's brilliant on their part. They're taking advantage of a system that the league set up and the other teams agreed to as well. You know, they're playing 4D chess while everybody else is just trying to get along here. And, you know, when, when you're building a dynasty like that, again, you've got to be ruthless with it. And until the league really calls them on it, why not? Why, why not keep doing it? Yeah. It's well in the trades too. Like where three team trades, where the the middle team gets nothing but retaining essentially twenty five percent of the salary. Like yeah. how is that not circumventing the cap? But hey, we're well, going to pay Luongo's yeah. three million for another couple more years. They they should be able to trade cap space. You know, like yes. that's that's one thing I I wish the league would do. It would make it really interesting, especially if you are in the midst of a rebuild and like Detroit's like, hey, here's a two million dollar salary cap exemption or something like that. Uh, I think the NBA has, has things and, and mechanisms that they can do that. I know for sure MLS, you know, I always make fun of these trades because nobody knows what they mean, but like uh, 
the Vancouver Whitecaps trade to the Toronto FC uh, a bunch of general allocation money. And that's essentially what it is, is they're just trading them cap space. And so I, I don't, you know, I think the league, especially now with the sal- the flat salary cap, could really benefit from small exemptions like that. No, maybe not five, six million, but like, hey, we'll trade you a $2 million cap exemption for a second round draft pick. And I think a lot of teams would get behind that. Yeah. With the Canucks current season, how have you seen that going so far? Like, is that, is it because of the circumstances of the shortened season? Do you think they're kind of on par for where they should be or have taken a step back from last year's progression? I thought they were going to be better. Being, being honest. Uh, I thought Braden Holpe wouldn't be uh, as bad as he was in Washington last year, but uh, he has. Um, I thought Nate Schmidt would be, Look, Nate Schmidt has been really good. I think he's been the Canucks' best defenseman on the whole this year, even better than Quinn Hughes, no matter what the points say. Uh, Quinn is still developing, and his defensive game has been exposed quite a bit. Um, But Nate Schmidt has been their most consistent defenseman, but he just got off to a tough start. And for whatever reason, the tough start, they had a ton of games. You know, we've been talking about them having to play 19 games in 31 days. They started the season with 19 and 34 while everybody else, you know, the Montreal Canadiens or the Calgary Flames had a, had a week off after their first couple of games of the year. And it's just like, Hey, we get practice time and time to gel with all our new pieces. I mean, it didn't work out for them anyways, but you know, a lot of teams did get uh, more days off early on in the season to kind of build up. And the Canucks didn't get that. They just had an absolutely gruesome schedule. It is fair to point to that as a reason. I'm not saying that the team is a lot better than they've shown. I'm just saying it's tough. And we see how much the schedule affects teams any year in the NHL. And the Canucks had it worse than pretty much anybody this season. So there's a lot of factors there. But the bottom line is uh, you expected too much of your young players taking a step and they didn't take that step, Pedersen and Hughes mainly, and that's why this whole house of cards fell apart. And you can only count so much on young players. You've got to have a little bit supplementing them as well. And they just they haven't had that. And once they stopped getting goaltending like they had from Jacob Markstrom last year and Thatcher Demko, he didn't really have a great February for his, as, you know, heralded as he's been for his entirety of the season. He had a sub 900 save percentage when the Canucks had only two wins in February. So there's a lot that kind of happened to this team. They're more talented than they've shown, but it's obvious that there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do if they're going to become a cup contender. Now the schedule in the beginning of the season was rough. And I know for a team that wasn't able to practice, they're trying to work out all the, the problems in game and it wasn't a, I mean, it wasn't going night and day, but you could see that for me, there was a bit of a difference once they were able to start getting the practices in some things started to get turned around a little bit. Yeah. Well, like it's such a hockey culture thing. Like you can't, you can't point to injuries. You can't point to schedule for a reason as to why teams are sucking. But I mean, look, if you, if you bet on hockey, which, it's not always the smartest thing to do. Let's be honest. The NHL is wacky and weird. But um, look, if you're betting on hockey, what's the first thing you do? Who's rested and who's playing on the second half of a back-to-back? 
who's playing three games in four nights, because that's the team I want to bet against. And so it's pretty obvious that the schedule is a reason and a part of why teams may struggle. And you have to find ways around that. Um, but you know, it, it is part of the conversation. And I think sometimes we just, you know, brush it off because yeah, it's hockey, man. Like you, you can't, you can't use the schedule as an excuse, not fully, but it is part of the reasoning as to why a team may have struggled. What's been the kind of the brightest point of a, a rather difficult season in Vancouver. I, I guess it's gotta be Brock Besser. Uh, I think, and, and Thatcher Demko. Um, I still think, like for me, I, I believe in Demko as as a talent, but it is quite the investment uh, for a guy that's played like 60 NHL games, especially for the voodoo position that is uh, goaltending. Um, but Brock Besser, for me, I think that's a guy where in his rookie year, you really saw somebody that could be a special offensive talent and seeing how far he's come, not just offensively, but as an all around player has been really impressive. And uh, I think that's a huge positive to take for this Canucks team. They're going to have to pay him because they gave him a bridge contract. So that's coming up to more salary cap implications there. And Nils Hoaglander, there, there's not a, a ton of positives, but the Canucks, the way that they're built, especially right now, they are depending so much on a few young players coming up and adding to this team Hoaglander pulling off a pretty good season is a huge help. And then on top of that, you know, now you're looking at Jack Rathbone who just got called up from Utica and even Vasily Podkolzin who just finished his year in the K. It's part of the reason why I think Benning's uh, build of this team is, a, is flawed. It's just like how you can't rely so much on just rookies coming in and lifting your, your floor as a team. Um, it's, it's not always going to work. And that's what we saw this year, even though Nils Hoaglander was able to, to come in and play pretty well. Um, there, there's, uh, uh, it's, it's not been a very positive season for how things have gone with the Canucks. You mentioned Markstrom and Demko. For myself, I was kind of glad. I mean, I was not glad Markstrom left. I'm glad he got paid and what he got deserved in Calgary. But when I looked at that situation, I immediately went back to Luongo Schneider, where they tried to make it with two guys and it didn't work and we were left with neither. I was at least took the positive out of that. They made a decision in goal and said, this is our guy going forward. Did you? What, what was your take on that part of it? My... <laughs> My problem with that, and, and it is, um, there is some truth to it. You know, if they did not have Demko, it would have been more of a priority to keep Jacob Markstrom around. At the same time, from everything I can gather, I'm led to believe if they had the money and the salary cap space to do it, they would have tried to keep Jacob Markstrom. And... I don't know if they ever wanted to go six by six, but they definitely had interest in keeping Jacob Markstrom around. And when we talked to Jim Benning last year about it, he said, that's not going to be an issue. Even the expansion draft, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll make a decision even come next year. But you know, this is, 
as much as, you know, I want to give Jim some level of, uh, applause for being able to to move on from veteran pieces that are clearly going to have a tough time living up to the long-term contracts. Sorry, Trevor. Um, It's just, it's really something that I think mostly came down to ownership didn't free up the money. He didn't have the salary cap room to do it more than it was a decision of like, yeah, we're good. Uh, we don't want to be tied into these long-term deals. So part of it is uh, maybe dumb luck on the Canucks part that uh, they, they made those decisions. Uh, what is your take on the current situation that has the Canucks in a very difficult position due to COVID-19? Both Ken and I felt that the team should have been shut down for the rest of the season. Do you, how do you feel the league handled it and how would you have handled it differently? And how do you feel the Canucks as an organization handled it? I know there's been some talk that the players are, are not happy. Yeah, the, there's definitely players that aren't happy. There's a lot of people within the Canucks organization that aren't happy. And I think the league is unhappy as well. Now, I think I... I I should preface this by saying it's unprecedented times. I know that's been said before, Um, but, you know, we're all trying to navigate this. And this new P1 variant uh, that struck the Canucks of COVID is something that, you know, Vancouver in general, BC in general is getting hit really hard by now. And we're seeing it uh, be a lot more infectious than uh, the COVID that we started with last year. And I know that sounds really weird to say, but my point is this is a really difficult situation to navigate and nobody has the right blueprint for it. Now the NHL and the league went by with things that they did for other teams like New Jersey and Buffalo and even Philadelphia. And quite clearly that was not a blueprint that worked for the Canucks. They were hit harder than any of those teams And clearly the players were not ready to come back. Now, in saying that, there is some level of anger from players towards the organization as a whole in that they kind of felt the team and the organization didn't have their backs. And like, this is not an okay schedule to work with. And why did it get to the point where JT Miller had to speak up for the league to do something about it? But also the league in general, I think they were a little too open about how they wanted to get the Canucks to come back and play. Like, why announce the schedule when things were quite clearly going to be a quick turnaround? I remember seeing that schedule last Sunday or whatever it was and being like, man, none of these guys are ready to come back and play. How how are they even going to do this? I know you've got to make your money and you've got to make up your games And there's not a lot of ways around that. And every business right now across the world is trying to figure out how they get by and get through this situation as best as possible. So I get it, but you can't say that you have the player's health and interest players health in in mind when you're doing these things, but also try to rush them back and being now being like, well, you know, this was always going to be the case where, Thursday was going to decide it and how they got through their testing. 
Like, come on, you, you knew it was going to be difficult. Get them to a point where, okay, we know they're going to be able to come back. And I even know like this Sunday night game against the Leafs, I don't know how many guys are really ready to play. I get it. You, you've got to play all the games this season and you got to play as many as you can to make up the, the money and all that. But, and the players are okay with that too. They know they, they don't want to pay escrow until their careers are over. Uh, they, they, they're a part of that conversation. They agreed to these things at the start of the year. So, you know, they know what they have to do in order to, to get their money and get paid as well. So it, it's a tough balance, but you've got to at least give the players a chance and at least, you know, give them time to be ready for this. Playing three games in four nights coming off of what they just went through was never going to be okay. And at least they amended it now, but it shouldn't have gotten to the situation that it did. If, if JT Miller doesn't make those comments publicly, does anything really change? I think it does still because I don't believe they would have been pushed through by doctors on th- when they came back for their Thursday tests. Like they had to go through an ECG and all these different things to, to get approved to play and get uh, pushed past the line to say, okay, yeah, you guys are okay to play. I don't think this team was ever going to get through that. They weren't going to have enough players that got through the testing and were allowed to get through protocol to play that game on Friday night. Now, does the schedule drastically change the way that it ended up doing? Probably not. You know, look at their schedule now compared to what it was, right? They, they were starting with a back-to-back, like playing Friday night at 6 Pacific time and then four o'clock Saturday Pacific time, less than 24 hours between games. It's just absolute insanity. Now, you know, they've at least spaced it out, give these guys a chance to, to ramp their bodies up. And, you know, I think their first five games are all uh, a a day apart. So they're playing every other day. Then the schedule really gets treacherous, but at least you're giving them a chance to build their bodies up again before really putting them through the grindstone. Now, moving on to three, but you kind of brought up a couple of the players I wanted to ask you about already. And that was Adam Gaudet, Jake Vertanen, and then finish off with Alex Edler. Now, Adam Gaudet was moved out at the deadline. And part of the reasoning behind that, from what Jim was saying, is that they hadn't seen the progression in his game where they expected him to be. Now, my, my question around him and Vertanen is, Gaudet get, gets moved, but Jake Vertanen, in my opinion, seems to get a free pass for underperforming and still manages to get paid, like we saw in this offseason. When they didn't tender him as an RFA, I was like, okay, they're going to let him walk. I, at this point, I'm fine with that because the underperforming Jake Vertanen has gotten, for myself, as a Canucks fan, really old. You can imagine for me, I got to talk about it for three hours every day, you know? Yeah. Five days a week. That's gotta be tough. Uh, there's nothing that gets the, the text inbox going like uh, like a Jake for Tannen take it's, it's pretty incredible, but uh, you know, it, it's the age old story of the NHL. A first round pick gets more of a leash than guys who aren't drafted in the first round. And uh, think about nail Yakupov. You know, how many, how many second chances did that guy get for being just absolutely terrible? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, like if you're, you're, you're a high first round draft choice, somebody is going to take a chance on you. Hey, the grass is greener over here. We'll figure it out. He's got talent. We'll, we'll, we'll get him a rule to play. And I think that's a big part of the conversation with Jake. You know, he's a hometown kid. I think ownership had a, had a stake in, in drafting him in 2014. So the optics of Jake are always a part of the conversation. Do they just want to let this guy walk? Um, or do they want to get something in return? You know, I think they've had chances to trade him even for a second round pick at different times. And they didn't want to take it because they thought he was worth more. And you now that seems foolish now because you might even just be buying him out in the summer, but optically, I think they've always been too worried about what will people say if we just trade Jake for Tannen for something that doesn't match up with, the value that the fan base feels he is worth. And that part of the conversation has always baffled me. If it's not working, just move on. It's pretty obvious, Jake. It's just, you know, trying to fit, uh, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, you know, like there's just, it's not going to work here. And I think there's a level of maturity that, Jake probably needs that could help from getting shipped out of town. Uh, I think there's a player in there. Definitely just not one that's ever going to be a top six forward. And this happens in a lot of Canadian markets where a guy gets drafted in the first round, especially high and doesn't live up to those expectations and fan bases aren't okay with him just being a guy, you know, like Jake can be a role player on somebody's third line, a guy with some offensive pop, that has some flaws in his game. Like that's, that's kind of what he is as a player, but the conversation in Vancouver is never going to be, you're never just going to let him be Zach McEwen and just live on the third or fourth line and and be a guy that plays 10 to 12 minutes every night, because there's always going to be this extra conversation of, can he be in the top six? Should he be in the top six? And uh, it's tiring. Uh, I think it should have ended a long time ago. And the fact that they've kept it going has only diminished his value over time because it's pretty obvious. Travis Green doesn't trust him a ton and people around the league are going to think, why don't they trust him in in bigger spots and and those things. And now he's into his mid twenties and he's a guy that is still a project for whoever takes him on. So that really is what it comes down to. It's, First round pick gets a longer leash than a guy with a fit that, that was drafted in the fifth round. And even still with Goddett, I think people were upset with the, the return that the Canucks got for him. And, and that's fine. But I, I just say like, what do you really think Adam Goddett is worth around the league? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's not much, you know, and that's, that's a harsh reality. Every fan base overvalues their own players, but like Adam Goddett's a tweener. He's a guy that isn't, offensively skilled enough to play in a top six and doesn't play well away from the puck to play a role in the bottom six. So, so what is he then, you know, and that's, he's a player that's got to figure out what his role is in the NHL. And he was still thinking, I got to be a guy who's in the top six and the Canucks were like, you're, you're not going to get that here. So we're, we're sending you off somewhere else. Yeah. I wasn't too upset that he got moved. I just thought it was uh, interesting that his leash was obviously much, much shorter than, than Jake's. Well, it's also like he's got to play center and Travis green 
did not trust him to play center in big spots. And I don't disagree with Green's assessment. <laughs> you know, like he's just not strong enough defensively. Look at the numbers. Yes, he's got some offensive talent and he can score a little bit, but he got caved a lot. And there's a reason the Canucks did not trust him pretty much at all in the bubble last year in the playoffs. So Adam Gaudet's got to figure out what he's going to be in the NHL. Uh, it just wasn't going to be in, in Vancouver. Well, going on to the last one I wanted to ask about, uh, this past offseason, Boston had a decision to make with Zidane Chara. Long time, you know, their captain, long time player, face of the franchise. Older defenseman, decline, on the decline. This offseason, we're going to have Alex Adler. Do you, what's your date? Do you see the Canucks letting him walk away or are they going to bring him back? My thought is, because I was on the, unfortunately it pained me to say it, that Boston made the right choice with Chara. I think maybe time with Edler's production, the way things are going to either look at not bringing him back. I look at Alex Edler and I see a guy who's going to be a lifetime Canuck. I, you know, he's obviously got to, you know, bring down his salary expectations if that's going to happen, but I could definitely see him being a guy that signs those one or two year, you know, kind of uh, perpetually uh, re-signing with his team contracts. Uh, he's just got to be a lot more realistic with what they look like. And that's probably under 2 million bucks, under two and a half million bucks. You know, it's not going to be disrespectful. It's still a nice salary, but that's kind of what he's worth now. He's a second pair guy, lower end second pair guy. He's really good on the penalty kill. And he's got some foot speed problems that get him into a lot of trouble. And so he yeah. takes a lot of penalties. Yeah, he does. So, uh, it, it, it's not that he can't play anymore. Um, it's just the Canucks have to do better. You know, it, it's fine if that guy's living on your third pair, but you know, for the Canucks, he's not. And they've got to find a way to have a succession plan. Is that Quinn Hughes and Jack Rathbone? I don't know. There's a lot of talk about Nate Schmidt potentially getting moved in the summer. So wow. does that mean, does that mean Alex Edler is staying to fill that role? You know, like that's, it's a tall ask. You've just got to do better. Um, if you're going to keep them, you've got to find a way to be better than Alex Edler above him in the lineup. And that's, that's tough when the Canucks don't have many, don't have much salary cap room to do those types of things. Yeah. And that's, and that's not me. Like I'm a, I like Alex Edler. I think he's been a great Canuck throughout his career. I just, unfortunately it gets to that point where you've, you've got a tough decision in front of you, as you just said, with all those points, can you make it work? That isn't going to put him in the position to do poorly and look yeah. bad every night. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I don't think he's looked bad. You know, I, I really do think he and Nate Schmidt have actually been a decent pair together, probably the Canucks best. Um, it's just, you know, the thing about like Chara was and is unbelievable. And the fact that he's still doing what he's doing at his age is incredible. Edler has to simplify his game. They've got to lessen his role, but that means, finding players that are a proper succession plan for him. Uh, would there be interest around the league if Alex Edler becomes a free agent? Absolutely there would be. 
And if the numbers don't work, you've got to be willing to let him walk. But I, I think this is one where they would both like to remain partners for the future. Uh, but Edler's really got to be realistic about what that number looks like for him. Before we let you get going here, Dan, we've got a couple of things we've got to bring up. We're not going to let you get off easy on this. Oh, no. I heard you recently lost a pretty big game of FIFA to Eddie Lack. <laughs> How did that come about? And uh, what were the ramifications of the big loss? Well, Eddie, uh, Eddie's one of the best guys around, uh, truly. He's, uh, he's a lot of fun. Great real estate agent in Arizona, so I've heard. Uh, not that radio pays well enough for me to have a vacation property or anything, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it is like Eddie has been one of the better finds, uh, love having him on every Tuesday uh, on our show, the people show, uh, telling stories about the Canucks and his time in Calgary. Like, I mean, he's just, he's a, he's an incredible character and I, I love that about him. He's not afraid to tell stories about his time in the league. So I don't know. It just came up out of nowhere. He was just like, I want, I want to do the one chip challenge and let's, let's play a game of FIFA and the loser will do the one chip challenge. I'm like, all right, there's no way I'm losing to Eddie Lack. Sure enough. You know, he parks the bus. It's everybody in front of his own net. You know, he's, he doesn't even pick Manchester United as the team he cheers for. And he finds a way to beat me. And I end up having to do the one chip challenge. And I got to tell you, like, uh, it is not fun, the one chip challenge. If anybody's out there thinking about doing it, don't do it. Just just don't. <laughs> I think there's a video, right? Yeah. There's oh, it's, definitely it's a video. Good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's somewhere on YouTube, Dan Richo One Chip Challenge. It is uh it was a time, okay. Like <laughs> uh it, it's not fun, it it really painful. And like the hours afterwards are the the most painful. I was like, do I have to go to the hospital right now? Like my insides oh. are just <laughs> Uh, destroying themselves. So it was, uh, it was pretty nervy, but I, we got through it. And um, I, I guess, you know, we kind of went viral. So, so at least there was that, but it was uh, not something I'd ever do again or recommend for anybody else. So, and, and Randeep did do it the next week, correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Randeep and, then made a bet because people were like, we want to see this again. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and he and, was, he was dumb enough to be okay with it. And uh, well, I mean, let's just say he's got the iron stomach compared to me. So he, he handled it a little bit better than I did. And well, and Satyar's come in pretty clear and knowledgeable. He is no, not, not doing it at all. No, he's not. He's not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Sat, Sat's just like, no, you know, like even Eddie told me this, like Swedish guys, they just, they, they can't handle spice. So they're, they're just like, I'll do other things, but I'm, I'm, I ain't doing that. So, so we'll figure out something else for Sat. There you go. Now there was another kind of side bet you guys had going on and it, it kind of goes back to the, to Chara. Yeah. Uh, you had the master's pool recently mm-hmm. and it was, if all three of you, yeah, yourself, Randy uh, sat finishing the top 10, you were going to put out a picture. Yeah. Uh, thankfully that did not happen. And the picture uh, with me and Zidane Chara has not been released. Now I, I am uh, vertically challenged, I guess is what you might say. <laughs> So <laughs> me standing next to Zidane Chara is pretty hilarious in its own right. Um, but that was at a time when I was working at the sports memorabilia shop and I was working overnights and at the shop during the day. So like, yeah, it was just not a good look. I was having a tough day. I don't know why I decided to take a picture. I was like, oh, all right, Zidane Chara. And 
I just, I, I can't let that picture be seen. I just can't, I can't let it happen. So uh, I, I'm willing to put it on the line, but like, let me tell you, these are going to be the uh, smallest odd bets you could, you could possibly imagine. Cause I definitely don't want that thing going out to the public. Well, Randy did bring up a couple things this past week here where about the impulse buys. First off <laughs> was the Ed Hardy jacket, right? Now, what yeah. if he was willing to put that on publicly walk out for a week in that thing <laughs> or purchase, was it the Plaza? Was that like, yeah, you know, either one of those, is that something you'd put the picture up against? Uh, I would, I would not. No, no, I, I, I really don't want this thing to be seen. So like we, we had another bet. Um, I said, if this was before the trade deadline, wherever Taylor Hall goes, I guarantee that team will lose in the first round. So that might end up being where the Zdeno Chara picture actually gets revealed. And I got to tell you, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried now. I'm, I'm really Washington, Boston Bruins first round. Like that might be a bit of a toss up, but, um, it's not, it's not, not, not the best outcome. I would say I, it could have been worse. Could have ended up on Colorado. And then like, that's a guaranteed first round <laughs> advance. Yeah. You're trying to delete uh, that show from, from record. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm hoping they don't hold my feet to the fire on that and hope uh, they just, they forget that that was ever mentioned. Well, Dan, we've reached the point in our show where we want to open up the floor to you to shamelessly plug anything that's going on with you and you know, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I'm uh, at Dan Richo underscore on Twitter, at Dan Richo on Instagram. And of course, the People Show is on three to seven uh, weekdays on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. You can listen on the Sportsnet app or whatever podcatcher you do uh, appreciate the most. And uh, also, I got some some T-shirt swag going. It's called uh, Spro. Uh, as an Italian guy, I love my espresso. So uh, you can find the links uh, in my bio if you uh, if you are like me and a big time coffee lover. Awesome. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, coming on our show this week. Uh, we've had a lot of fun. I know I definitely enjoy every chance I get making Trevor talk about the Canucks. So we want to appreciate <laughs> it. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. You can find Trevor on Twitter at the BleacherCon one. You can find myself Ken at the BleacherCon two. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, everyone.